You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. You know, one of our issues, as that song was saying, people need the Lord, when will we realize that people need the Lord? One of the issues that we have in not being an effective tool for God in witnessing to the lost is because we don't think that we need the Lord. When people look at us, they see us as somebody who goes to church on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings, and that we have a higher set of morals, but they don't really see the power of God in our lives, and it is because we do not include Him in our lives. And we don't include Him in our lives, in every facet of our lives, because we don't think that we need Him. We just think we need him for the big stuff that we don't think that we can handle. And my soul, Christian, you let God get a hold of every part of your life. And we will see in Fellowship Baptist Church, we will see us living in the kinds of things that you see in the book of Acts. I'm not saying the kinds of gifts that you see. I'm saying... The elevation of miracles in our churches and the elevation of God increasing his church, adding to his church, and multiplying his church. One of the reasons that we are so ineffective at witnessing the gospel is because we think other people need the Lord, but we don't think that we need the Lord. Please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. I'm going to read a very familiar passage to you. This passage comes after a great miracle, a great working of Jesus. Indeed, the disciples saw many miracles of Jesus. We'll begin reading in verse 35, but before I get started, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your inspired word. I thank you so much for your Holy Ghost. I thank you so much that what goes on here this evening, Lord, that it doesn't all lie in my lap, my soul, Lord. I thank you so much for that. Lord, I... I pray more than anything that you would get me out of the way of what you're trying to do here. Indeed, Lord, this message that is going to be preached is going to be something that will be a help to all of us, including the one who's preaching it. And I just pray, Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith. Pray for these things in your name. Amen. In verse 35, I'll begin reading. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. 
And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and saith, said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he saith, said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Picture this. You are walking as a disciple of Jesus, having spent quite a bit of time hearing him preach, hearing him teach, hearing him expound the word of God, hearing him prophesy and seeing him perform miracle after miracle. And Jesus, after preaching to a multitude of people, says, let's get in the ship and go to the other side. And you get in a ship, and while you're going over this, over this sea, the wind, you see, you see a storm brewing in the sky. The wind picks up, the skies darken, and you see this foreboding, this foreboding storm on the scene, and you, you understand that you're in a small ship, and you've been in a storm before, and you've, you're, you're a sailor, you're a fisherman. Many of them on the ship were fishermen. They had been on ships before, and you had been through the storms before, and you'd figure out ways to, to conquer the storm and to survive the storm. And all the while, while this havoc is being wreaked on the ship and on the disciples and on the faith and the spirituality of the disciples, after they had seen God do such great miracles, they then become fearful of the wind and the storms and the waves. The water fills up the ship. Indeed, you and I, as Christians, we go through many storms of life. If you're not in a storm, you've just gotten out of one, or you're walking right into one. And these storms are on different levels. There's different intensities to these storms, but this was a storm that was quite intense. This was a storm that the disciples knew that if Jesus didn't do something, they were going to perish. Indeed, we look around us at the circumstances of our world, of our nation, of our churches, and we stand back and we take a step back and we become perplexed and we think, how is the Lord going to conquer this storm? Is, does he even care? Is he even on the scene? Why is he in the bottom of the boat sleeping? We reason and we logic through the decline of our churches, the decline both in numbers and in spirituality of our churches, and the uprise of unspiritual churches and churches that are unbiblical. And we look at this, and as we see the churches of God declining and the churches of the temples of Satan increasing, 
We step back as we see the storms brewing on the horizon of this nation and on our churches and on our family, and we think, where's Jesus? Circumstances, statistics, reason and logic. You know, when I, I read this story and I meditate on this story and I, I think, why did they wait until the ship was full of water to go and wake Jesus up? You and I do the same thing. We wait until the problem is too big for us, not realizing to begin with the problem was too big for us. We treat God as if he's an emergency responder and not a friend. We call him in the last minute of trouble whenever a situation goes beyond our control. And we say to God, God, we essentially say to God, God, I had this for a little while and I can't handle it anymore, so could you take control? I mean, all of this time I had it under control. I had control of it, but now I don't have control of it anymore. Can you, can you take control? And thus, when God could have had control the whole time, this is why so many Christians know Jesus hardly any better than they know the police officer or the fireman down the street with whom they are acquainted. Because they don't see Jesus as a personal Jesus. They don't see Jesus as a personal friend. You see Jesus as someone to call on in a time of trouble. Someone to get you out of your difficulties and troubles. Instead of a God that wants to be with you whenever you see the storm on the horizon. Before the winds ever start blowing, he wants to be there by your side because he is your friend. Jesus wants to be more than an emergency responder in your life. He wants to be your friend. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? A storm is brewing around them. The storm is hitting them so hard. They fear for their life. All of these little ships around them, their ship is filling up with water. And they think, all of these circumstances that are surrounding us, we're going to drown in them. We're going to perish in these circumstances that are surrounding us. And we can't reason enough to get out of this. We can't work hard enough to get out of this. We don't have the logic to figure out how to get out of this. And every time a, a boat fills up with water, the statistics are that it's going to sink. And thus we make our idol, not Jesus Christ, but reason, logic, statistics, and circumstances. Don't ever think that because God is silent, and he seems to be far off in the hinder part of the ship of your life, asleep. Don't ever think that he's not present. Don't ever think that because the enemy seems to be winning the battle, that God has somehow vacated the scene. 
Don't ever think that because the enemy seems to be winning the battle, that if God were to show up on the scene, it would simply be too late. Don't ever think in the midst of the storm when you don't feel the presence of God and he doesn't seem to be talking to you, don't ever think that he doesn't have his eye on you. And they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Wow, what a question. What a question to ask the one who envelops loving kindness. What a question to ask the one who envelops the very nature of goodness. And what that means is that whatever circumstance happens in your life, whatever trials, whatever storm is brewing, God always intends it to be for your good. Oh, the water, the, the water filling up, filling up the boat, that might seem like a bad thing. The wind being boisterous and scaring you and fearing for your life, that might seem like a bad thing. But it is a time where God is saying, it's a bad thing, but I'm trying to teach you something because teaching you something through this is the very best thing for you. The storms are raging around you and you feel like you feel like your life might end if it not were for if it were not for Jesus. The storms are boisterous around you and the winds are and the waves of the sea are crashing in on you and it's there for you because God loves you and he wants to mold you and make you into something brighter and fuller for his glory. Yet as critical as we can be at the disciples for delaying to ask Jesus, the fact is, is that at least they asked him for help. Yeah, you and I, so often when we get in circumstances, asking help from God is one of the last things that we think about. And th that was the case with them, but at least they they asked, and I have to think, as I read through this, I think, what took you so long? Yet we can make that own charge for ourselves. You saw this storm on the horizon. You saw that something was coming down the pike that you could not control. And yet you bothered to wake me up whenever your ship was full of water? Why didn't you wake me up at the very first glimpse of the storm that was arriving on the scene? What took you so long? But at least they asked. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Just put yourself in the scene, Christian. You had just seen Jesus 
do miracle after miracle. You just listen to him preach. You just seen a storm on the horizon. Jesus says, let's pass over to the other side. And you see the storm brewing. And Jesus is down in the hinder part of the ship sleeping. And all of the winds are, are raging. And all of the waves are raging. And all of these things look like they might swallow you up as it rains and as it pours down and as the circumstances of their life beat down upon them. And then Jesus, they wake him up and say, carest thou not that we perish? And he says, O ye of little faith, peace be still. And all of a sudden, there's no wind. There's no wave. <laughs> you know that we serve the same God today? And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Indeed, fear indicates the lack of faith. You look about the circumstances that surround your life, that surround your home, that surround the churches in America, and that surround the United States of America and this world, and when we grow in fear and not faith, it is an indication that we don't believe that God is who he says he is. Matthew 14 concludes the story like this, and he said, come. I, I'm sorry, this is a different story. Luke 8 concludes the story like this, and he said unto them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, <laughs> saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. What manner of man is this who was asleep in the hinder part of the ship while the disciples feared for their life and they call him up and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he rebukes the winds and he rebukes the waves of the sea and all is calm and silent. And they scratch their heads as Jesus says, not how much faith do you have, but where is your faith? And they say, what manner of man is this? You see, before the disciples were focused on their circumstances, they were focused on their statistics. They were focused on their reason and logic. And they weren't focused on the man that was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. Their faith was in themselves. Their faith was in their statistics. Their faith was in their reason and logic. Their faith was in those circumstances that surrounded them. And their faith was not in the one that was the master of all of those circumstances and could cause all of those storms raging about them to cease. Where is your faith? 
What manner of man is this anyway? Do we have faith in our circumstances or do we have faith in this man? This man who stood to rebuke the winds and to rebuke the waves of the sea is the omnipotent one. There's nothing beyond his power and his control. What manner of man is this? He's the omniscient one. He knows all things. He knew before he said, let's go over to the other side. He knew that their ship was going to fill up with water. You know that God knows that your ship is filling up with water, Christian? He knew that it was going to happen before you were ever conceived. Oh, what manner of man is this? The goodness of God that you might feel alone, and you might feel like God's off the scene, and you might feel like he's sleeping, and you might feel like he doesn't know what's going on, but understand, he's a good God, and he loves you, and it's there, the trial and the circumstance in your life, even the fact that his presence might not feel so very close to you, it's there for a reason. It's there to test your faith. It's there for you to put your faith, not in the circumstances, and not how you feel about a situation, but about the one to put your faith in the one who is the good God, who is the omniscient God, who is the omnipotent God, who is the omnipresent God. When he doesn't, when it doesn't feel like he's there, that he's always there, Christian. Always. The transcendent God. You place yourself under circumstances when you have a God that is above all circumstances. What manner of man is this? He's called the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. <laughs> he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, Christian. And guess what? He owns the hills. And under those hills are gold mines and silver mines beyond your comprehension. You look around you at your circumstance and you wonder, how in the world am I going to be able to provide for this situation? And God says, why are you looking at yourself to provide for this situation? I own a cattle on a thousand hills. And I can slay one of those cattle, and you might not ever know the person that would slay the cattle for you. I own the gold underneath those hills. I own everything. And if I want it to happen, Christian, I will provide for you. A lack of faith indicates that you believe that circumstances, statistics, and logic and reason are more powerful than the omnipotent one. Where is your faith? Is your faith in circumstances? Or is your faith in the God who can change circumstances? Where is your faith? Is your faith... Is your God the God of circumstances? Or is your God the God that transcends all circumstances? Where is your faith? Where is your faith for your 
necessary food and clothing. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And Jesus, as he continues preaching in Matthew chapter 6, skipping down to verse 30, it says, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, that's how insignificant the grass of the field is. And if God would so clothe those things, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But did you bother asking him? And give us this day our daily bread? But seek ye first. Not seek ye first food and raiment and clothing, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is not a matter of you seeking the kingdom of God so that you can have these things added unto you. That's not seeking the kingdom of God. This is a matter of you with all of your heart seeking to know God and understanding that he's a God that loves you and will provide for all things in your life. And if he doesn't provide it, then they aren't needful. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Where is your faith? Most of us go through life neglecting to ask God to give us our daily bread and raiment. I confess to you that I'm one of them. We never have a worry about whether or not we will have food, water, raiment. Our concern is about the quality of the food and the quality of the water and the quality of the raiment. Yet this lack of dependence on God for even our daily bread this lack of dependence on God for even the little things in life is no different than disciples only asking God to help them whenever their situation became an emergency that seemed like it was out of their control. You and I were so independent of God. We're so self-sufficient. We choose and pick, we pick and choose what areas in our lives we will choose to include God in, and then the stuff that we feel like we can handle, the food, the raiment, and the clothing, we say, I, I got that. The fact is, is that God wants to be involved in your shopping list, Christian. And you do that. You do that, and you will see God provide for you. You will see your dollar stretched further than you thought it could ever go. God wants to be involved in your shopping list. As Bethany and I have been searching for a home 
I was convicted a couple of weeks ago as I would try to figure out how much money we could afford. I would count on my secular income as stable income and my ministry income as unstable income. I mean, after all, I can depend on my employer paying me, but I don't. The evidence shows that I can't always depend on God's people supplying for our needs. Where is your faith, Aaron? How is it that you have more faith, more faith in God supplying through a secular work than God supplying through your ministry? God can't take care of you through the ministry of evangelism. You know that God can take care of you. Your, your job can disappear in a single day, but God will still find a way to take care of you because he's not without resources. He's not without ideas to figure out how to take care of you as if he's up in heaven scratching his head wondering how he's going to solve the problem. Oh, faith in our personal lives for our health. Mm. Is any among you afflicted? Let him go to the doctor. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the doctors of the hospital and let the elders of the church worry about him and let um, give medications in the name of doctor cure nothing. And the prognosis of doctor cure nothing shall save the sick, and he shall recover through his own strength because he's a strong and mighty one. Is that what the Bible says? But, Christian, is that what you follow? No, the book of James says. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, not worry about him. <laughs> Anointing him not with medications but with oil in the name of the Lord. And I am not speaking against doctors. I'm not speaking against medications. I am preaching against those of us who so often when we have a medical condition do not seek the great physician, but seek doc doctor cure nothing. Why would you, when you can approach the throne of an almighty God who is called the great physician, Seek a doctor who has really no idea what's going on inside your body. What's wrong with us? And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And he doesn't raise himself up. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Where is your faith? Faith for our personal ministries. Each and every one of you, you have a ministry that God wants you to do. That ministry is under this local church. 
You have a ministry sent out under the authority of God to do something for the glory of God as he builds up his church himself. And listen to what Paul says about some of those ministers for Christ. He says, to Romans, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world? <laughs> in 1 Thessalonians, he says, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith, not in the circumstances, but your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Where is your faith? Christians, you know that God, the God of the New Testament, we so often reread the book of Acts and we read these people that Paul preaches about as if they're somehow disconnected to 2019. As if somehow in these latter days that God can't raise up men and women of God to work for the cause of Christ in his faith. That God can't raise up these people and then the, the, the evidence and the testimony of their faith be spread abroad. You know, the disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts, they turn the word upside down, not through their own strength, but by just believing that God is who he says he is. Remember the man sitting at the gate, beautiful, in Acts chapter 3? He was a lame man. He couldn't walk. He's never walked. Peter heals him. The whole city is in an uproar. And in Acts 3, 11, the Bible says, And the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's Great, Solomon's Greatly Wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so steadfastly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? It is very obvious that Peter didn't heal this man by his own power. And it's very obvious that Peter didn't heal this man by his own holiness and his own conduct in his personal life. But you and I so often, we know that and we believe that, yet somehow we believe that God's name and the faith that it takes to produce miracles, daily miracles in our daily lives, as they saw in the book of Acts, and as, as the will of God today for the churches around this country, and as is the will of God for Fellowship Baptist Church, somehow we think that these miracles have to do something with us. And it is because we have faith in ourselves and not faith in God. Where is your faith, Christian? Do you believe that the God of today is the God of the book of Acts? Then why don't we see the miracles that we saw in the book of Acts? Why don't we see the church increasing? Why don't we see the church multiplying? Where is your faith?
Thus saith the Lord, let not, not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Christian, it doesn't have anything to do with how rich you are. It doesn't have anything to do with how talented you are. It doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are. But let him that glorieth glory in this. Remember that the very men who healed this man at the gate beautiful, they were, the Pharisees were astonished that such unlearned and ignorant men spoke with such power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And Jeremiah 9, 24 continues on, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And Peter continues on and says a few other things about this lame man and all these people wondering, wow, what power in them to do such mighty works. And Peter says, it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with the one that you crucified. And he says, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You know, the Bible says that Stephen was full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people, but Stephen was not an apostle. Stephen was a deacon which means that he was a servant in the church. You know that God wants to use servants in the church like each and every one of you sitting here, no matter how young, no matter how old. He wants to use each and every one of you. He wants you to just believe that he is who he says he is. And he wants you to cast that faith on his name, not in your abilities, not in your circumstances, but on his name. And he wants to do great and mighty things through you. He wants the world to marvel at Fellowship Baptist Church church and the people inside of it because he wants the world to have the attention on him so that we can then divert the attention to the glory of God. Oh, what opportunity we have, Christian, to, like those in the book of Acts, turn the world upside down for the cause of Christ. You know that the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it did not stop with Acts if you read through the end of the book of Acts, you realize that there's no conclusion. <laughs> there's no other book like that in the New Testament. There's no conclusion. It's as if the rest of the story has not yet been written. You are part of that story, Christian. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The problem, though, Jesus said in John chapter 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
continuing to believe on him. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. What? Is he serious? Do you remember the works that Jesus did? And then listen to what he says. And greater works. <gasps> greater works? No, that was for the apostles back in the Bible. No, no, no. He says, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, do you continue to believe on him and who he is in the purity of his doctrines and who he is? The works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You know, by the world's estimation, at the conclusion of Jesus' life, he was a failure. Everyone turned against him. By our carnal thinking, everyone turned against him, and even those closest to him departed from him. But then afterwards... There was a great conversion of Peter. And there was a great gathering of the disciples as they prayed and prayed. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit was poured out upon the church of God, giving them the power inside of them. And then you read through the book of Acts that the people that Jesus trained in those three years that he was in his ministry had greater works than Jesus Christ himself. They planted churches, and, and they were added unto the churches, and they were greatly multiplied so that the gospel won all the way to the end of the world and it still continues today. He wants you to do the same works that he did and then greater works, Christian. Do you believe that? Oh. Oh, my soul. You, you have so much difficulty of keeping your commitments to Christ. I know, because I, I do. It's called living in the flesh, and there's competition with the Holy Ghost inside of you. It's called the flesh. You know how you win those battles? You just believe that God can conquer them. And faith in God. Faith in, not on our circumstances, not in our own abilities, but faith in who he is. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, not by your holiness, To enter into the holiness, to into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Where is your faith? You look through the examples of faith in Scripture. Jesus, again and again, approached by people who come to him and beg for him to be healed. And, and 
and ignore all the scoffers and those who would ridicule them. Remember blind Bartimaeus. They said, shh, shh. And he cried out the more and he said, Lord, help me. And they said, shh, shh. He can't be busy about with you. Jesus turns to him and he heals him. Do you know that faith does not sit quietly in a little place and do nothing? That faith in Scripture always does something. There's always action behind faith. Well, the power of faith. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the roots, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Jesus says in another place, answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done, and all things whatsoever. Ye shall receive. Where is your faith, Christian? My wife and I were discussing something this morning before I, before I left for my preaching meeting. And we were discussing a matter that we believe the Lord is prompting us to walk into that is a bit like walking on water. It's impossible. It is completely impossible. God would have to do some, something above what we could ever ask or think. But we're going to ask him anyway. And as she's sitting there talking to me, I'm reasoning in myself, thinking of how I can finagle it. How I can figure out how to do what he's asking us to step out into, just in case, just in case God doesn't come through and produce a miracle. And I walked outside of our apartment, and as I'm walking to the van, God convicts me. You're saying, Aaron, that this is too hard for me? This is too hard for me? I own a cattle on a thousand hills. I own all the hills. I own the gold. I own the silver underneath. You can finagle. You can try to figure out how to manipulate things. Why don't you just ask me and trust me? I've shown you so, so clearly that this is the way to go. If I show you that this is the way to go, don't you think that I'll provide for you? Oh, and I had such a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord. 
Oh, my soul. Where's your faith? Your own means, your own circumstances, the ways in which you can finagle and manipulate things, your own flesh, your own works, your own power. Where's your faith? You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.